Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 42nd program in this series. In this program, I will be in John chapter 9, speaking about the man who was healed, who was born blind. Now, what was taking place was the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a very important festival in Israel. Everyone was required to be present in Jerusalem to observe this festival once a year. It was an eight-day experience. The first day of the festival was considered to be a Sabbath day, and the eighth day, the last day, was considered to be a Sabbath day. And so the people would need to arrive before the first day of the feast, of the festival, and they would have to set up their temporary dwelling place, their tabernacle, before the first day of the festival, because that was a Sabbath day. Now, there were two ceremonies that were very important to the people during this time as they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. The first ceremony had to do with the last and the great day of the feast. And that was when the priests in the temple would light lampstands that were placed in the temple. And there were so many of them, and there was so much oil that was set on fire, that the entire city was illuminated by the light that emanated from the temple. This was one of the ceremonies that took place during this festival. It was on the last day of the feast, and this is one of the reasons why it was described as the great day, the last day and the great day of the feast. This is found in John chapter 7, and these events with regards to this particular festival go back to chapter 7 and chapter 8, and now we're going into John chapter 9. But in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this is in reference to the second ceremony that took place during this festival. And I'll explain it in just a moment. But the great day, with reference to the ceremony of the lights, is related to what Jesus had to say about him being the light of the world. This is found in John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And this is related to the festival and the ceremony of the lights. He said that on the day after the last and great day of the feast. And so the festival was considered to be over. And Jesus went to the temple. He was confronted with the topic of the woman who was caught in adultery and all the things that were related to that. And I explained that in the previous messages in John chapter 8. 
But on this day, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. And when he said that, he was referring to what happened the day before with regards to the lighting of the lampstands in the temple and that the priests were proclaiming that they and Jerusalem and the temple were the light of the world. But Jesus comes the day after that and he says, okay, all the lamps are out. I want you to know that I am the light of the world and not just one day a year, but every day and for eternity. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, the second ceremony that was very important to the people during the Feast of Tabernacles was the outpouring of the water. And this was what was alluded to in John chapter 7, verse 37, when Jesus was speaking about being the living water that would satisfy the thirst of anyone who would believe in him. He was referring to the ceremony of the outpouring of the water. Now, this ceremony took place every day of the festival. From day one to day eight, this was a ceremony that took place every day. Every day, the priests would leave the temple compound and they would go down to the pool of Siloam, which was near the bottom of the city, and they would collect some water from that pool. And then the priests would go up to the temple with the water that they had collected, and there was a great procession of a lot of priests who would follow this path up to the temple compound, and then they would pour out the water that they had collected from the Pool of Siloam before the base of the altar that was used for sacrifices there in the temple. This was something that they did every day of the festival, and it was considered to be a big event for the people. It was such a big event that people would set up their tabernacles in a position there in the city so that they would have a view of this path. They would be able to watch the priests bring the water from the pool of Siloam up to the temple every day. That was how people would generally position their tabernacles, was so that they could watch this procession of priests and feel like they were a part of the ceremony that was taking place. When the priests got to the temple, between the outer and the inner courts, there were 15 steps that were constructed in a semicircle, and the priests would walk up these steps one step at a time. For each step, they would, they would climb up on one step together, and then they would sing a psalm. And then they would take the next step, and they would sing another psalm. This was a big experience, and it happened every day. The psalms that they would sing were Psalms 120 to 134. If you have a look at some study Bibles, you'll notice that there are notations in the psalms, and these psalms are described as the psalms of ascent. That was in reference to the climbing from the Pool of Siloam up to the temple compound, and also taking a step, one step at a time, into the inner court where they would finally pour out the water that they had collected from the pool of Siloam. 
So there was a lot that was going on there in Jerusalem, and this ceremony was a central part of every day of the festival. Now, at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to the people and declared that he was God. In John chapter 8, verse 56, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. But then what happened next? John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, in John chapter 9, there is a good indication that Jesus was in the proximity of the pool of Siloam. So he left the temple and he might have gone down the same path that the priests used in order to collect water from the pool of Siloam and bring back up to the temple. He might have left the temple and just simply went along the same path and he went down to the bottom end of the city and he found this man who was blind. He was born blind. Now, as we keep reading, we'll discover that this is a Sabbath day. So this tells us that it is a seventh-day Sabbath. And the reason why we can be confident that it was a seventh-day Sabbath is because of what we know from John chapter 7 and chapter 8, that the last and the great day of the feast was the day before. The day before was a Sabbath day, According to the law, being the eighth day of the feast, that would have been on a Friday, in effect. And now what we have is we have another Sabbath. This is the seventh day Sabbath that begins at sundown on Friday evening and will go until sundown on Saturday evening when there are three stars visible in the sky. So you have another Sabbath day and the festival is considered to be over. But everybody is still going to be in their tabernacles. Everyone will still be there because they can't dismantle their tabernacles and go somewhere else. They have to remain in their dwelling place and they cannot do any work. This is a Sabbath day. So this is the day after the Feast of Tabernacles has ended. The priests are not going to go down to the Pool of Siloam and collect some water and bring that water in a great procession up to the temple compound on this day. That's not what is going to happen. But Jesus goes down to where the Pool of Siloam is located or in that general area, and he finds this man who was born blind. Now, all of this background is very important in order to really appreciate the fullness of what is taking place here. And I will explain the details concerning this in this program and also in the next as I get to the individual verses. Beginning in verse 1, though, in John chapter 9, verse 1, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He is passing by. He has left the temple. 
He has escaped the people who were attempting to stone him because he declared to them in a way that there would be no confusion to the people he was speaking to. He declared that he was God manifested in the flesh. So he now finds this man who was born blind and his disciples in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the question that they are asking him is, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? And the reason why was because they believed, this was the predominant belief at that time, they believed that the reason why he was born blind was because of a divine judgment. It was a judgment of God that this man would be born blind. And so if it was a judgment of God, it would be because of sin. Somebody sinned. So who sinned? Was it his parents who sinned? Or was it the man who sinned? These are the two options that the people believed in. There was the possibility that the man was born blind because his parents sinned, but in general, this was not the view that the religious leaders would take. They would be hesitant to take this view because they did not want to say that someone else would suffer because of a different person's sin. For this man to suffer because of his parents' sin, that was something that they would hesitate to suggest. In addition to that, you have to consider the fact that the parents were probably productive members of society. They were probably giving to the temple. They were paying their tithes. If they are accused of having such terrible sin that their son was born blind, then they might develop a little bit of an attitude against the religious leaders and they might decide to no longer tithe and to no longer participate in the religious system of Israel with regards to the Mosaic law that they might restrain themselves from participating in ways that people could probably benefit. And so from an economic point of view, it was not in the religious leader's best interest to suggest that the parents had committed a sin and that their son was born blind as a divine judgment against his parents. That would not likely be the explanation that people would hold to, but they did consider it to be an option. The other part of their question has to do with the man who had sinned so that he was born blind. But there is an issue with regards to this, and that's the fact that he was not yet born. How could he have committed a sin before he was born? Well, there are some people who have suggested that this might be an indication that the people may have believed in reincarnation or something that would be related to that, but that was definitely not considered by anyone in Judaism, especially during this time in history. Reincarnation was never considered as an option or as an idea or as a philosophy or as a belief at any time by any rabbi, by anyone in the history of Israel, as far as I can find. There is absolutely no evidence that anyone would consider that as a possibility. But there is a lot of discussion about how the man could have 
sinned before he was born. There is a lot of conversation about that. And so you have to wonder, well, what did they have to say about how a person, how a man could have sinned before he was born? Well, as you probably know, when a child is developing in his mother's womb, on occasion, he might kick his mother. He might give her a kick now and then. And so with this kick, there is an opportunity. He could have just been stretching. He could have just simply not been paying too much attention. He may not have understood anything about what he was doing to his mom. He might have just felt uncomfortable and he was trying to change his position so he could feel a little bit more comfortable. Maybe he was surprised. There are lots of possibilities as to why a child might kick his mother while he is in his mother's womb. But there's another possibility that was discussed, and that was the possibility that he could have kicked his mother out of animosity. He could have been expressing some anger. He could have been expressing some frustration. Maybe he was hungry, and he was trying to give notification to his mother that it's time to eat. Maybe he was uncomfortable, and he was considering his mother to be the fault or the problem that needed to be addressed, and so he gave her a good kick in order to make her feel uncomfortable so she would make some adjustments and he could feel a little bit more comfortable. And this was the view. The view was that it could be that the child would strike his mother out of anger or animosity. As a result, that would be considered to be a sin. And so considering this possibility, this would be an opportunity for God to present a divine judgment against this child's sin before they are born and cause them to be blind. And this would be considered to be a positive thing for society. This would be considered to be a good thing because this child appears to be dangerous. This child could be a real problem for society, a serious problem. And so God would be exercising this judgment as a means of protecting the society from this person who is so evil, who is such a terrible person that God has to strike them with blindness before they are even born. That's what the people believed. And so in verse 2, when his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The general bias that people had, the general view, was that it was the man who had sinned before he was born, and God provided this divine judgment to protect society from this man because he is dangerous. And this was necessary in order to provide proper punishment for what he did and also to protect society from this person. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, chances are this man was paying attention well enough that he would hear what Jesus just said. Jesus just said 
that this has nothing to do with his parents and it has nothing to do with him. The reason why he is blind was so that the works of God should be revealed in him. This is something different from what he has heard his entire life. Jesus just effectively told this man that he is not blind because of his sin. That is not why he is blind. It's not because of his sin. It's not because he is an evil person. It's not because God needs to protect everybody around him from him. It's not about that at all. It's because something good is going to happen. Because God is going to do a work and this is good. And so the man was born blind. This is what he would be hearing. He was born blind not because he was evil. He was born blind because God wanted him to be a part of something miraculous that God would eventually do. This is what he would be hearing from Jesus as Jesus was speaking with his disciples. In verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Referring again to the ceremony of the lights of the Feast of Tabernacles, as was expressed the day before. In verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He was able to see. This was a profound miracle, an incredible miracle of God, a work of God that was done with this man. Jesus was able to do this because he is God, because he is the divine presence. As he expressed at the end of John chapter 8, just before he came over here, he told the people that he is God manifested in the flesh. Here is an opportunity for him to provide them with some evidence that he is, because he set this man free from the divine judgment, the divine judgment from the people's point of view, the man was born blind so that the works of God could be revealed, but from the people's point of view, he was blind because of his sin. This was a divine judgment. Therefore, the only person who could set this man free from the divine judgment of God was God himself. When Jesus healed this man and gave him his sight. This was a way that he could proclaim to the people that he truly was God manifested in the flesh. This is how the people would have interpreted this miracle. 
The man was born blind because of a divine judgment of God. Therefore, it would require God himself to set this man free from the divine judgment. Therefore, it was taught by the Pharisees that the only person who could ever set someone free from being born blind or the only person who could heal an individual who was born blind could be the Messiah. This was a miracle that the Pharisees proclaimed to the people would be a way that they would know that the Messiah was present, that the Messiah was there, that the Messiah was the divine representative and or the divine presence of God, and so that this was a unique and specific miracle that only the Messiah could perform. So when the people discovered that Jesus proclaimed this miracle, they would have interpreted it, they would have understood it, as a public proclamation by Jesus that he is the Messiah, according to their own beliefs, according to their own standards. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 42nd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I introduced John chapter 9. This was when Jesus healed the man who was born blind. At the end of John chapter 8, Jesus proclaimed to the people in the temple that he was God manifested in the flesh. They attempted to stone him, but he left, and he went to the area nearby the pool of Siloam. He found a man who was born blind, and he healed the man, which to the people was a miracle that only God could do. Because the belief of the people at that time was that if you were born blind, it was the result of a divine judgment. And so only the divine could set you free from the divine judgment. And I will speak more about this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,